Hey everybody, this is Chad and Mark with I Want to Know. Uh, we're here today with our new friend, Emma Rouleau. Hello. Did I pronounce that properly? You did. Awesome. Well I, I was going to try to do it in a French accent and I didn't, didn't want to dare try. So, uh, uh, you know what? I'm not going to introduce you. I'm going to just allow you to kind of tell everybody what you do and I'll, I'll, I'll fill in some of the gaps that I know. All right, for sure. Well, it is, it is a long list. Um, I am here primarily as Toymaker Me. Yeah. Um, that has been a kind that that's been a me for the last almost nine years. Okay. Um, I have loved stuffed animals since I was a tiny baby. Yeah. Uh, and it never stopped and and kind of evolved into trying my hand at them. Cool. Um, nine ish years ago, I started taking commissions and and developing more of my own patterns. Uh, closer to seven or eight years ago. Um, and it just kind of it's it's gone a different few different paths and a few different snowballs and cool so it's a legitimate business making uh stuffies for adults yes oh wow um, i mean i don't exclusively make stuffies for adults um but my website does focus very much on the adults who who are willing to be open about their love of stuffies yeah, yeah. Uh, at least open enough to go and get them and accept them that about themselves because i know that's been um a, a significant part of the journey for me and for a lot of people who i am close with so yeah, I think I'm maybe on the completely opposite side of what your clientele is. So I was getting to and not really understanding kind of the the purpose behind what you're doing and and what these uh, your clients are looking for. Fair enough. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I I have no illusions that not not everybody holds a secret secret stuff you love. Yeah. Um, but I know that uh, as somebody who carried around a bear as a kid and then just kind of internalized the silent societal idea that it's immature you won't be taken seriously as an adult if you even like are open that that's important to you um that i'm not alone in that and uh more than even the making toys um i don't know if you looked at um, instagram trouble the bear i did a little bit yeah um that has been a big part of realizing how not alone i am um so <laughs> right, right off the bat, me and Mark were talking about this. Well, when I uh, when I messaged you first, I'm like, oh, I found a toy maker. It'll be a lot of fun to have her on the, the show. And my wife's like, what kind of toys does she make? Is it adult toys? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> so <laughs> that's when I messaged you and asked for your website. And then I still wasn't 100% sure. So uh, I, I, I'll let you. So what do, what do people, is it just like a, a comfort thing for adults? Is it like an insecurity thing? Like what, what's the reason most of them are, are getting these toys? It can be it can be a lot of different things, and um, I definitely like I don't make toys that are particularly for adults in their themselves. And again, I want or not again, but I want to emphasize that when I say adult, when any of us say adult toys, we're not talking about toys you'd use in the Sex bedroom. Toys, we are right. talking about um, like fluffy bears yeah. and uh, and. Abominable snowman. We'll put the stuff. links up to your website when we uh, upload this uh, on Thursday, but uh, they'll definitely see it. How often the... is that confused? That was our confusion. <laughs> Chad that? was like, it's toys for adults. I was like, does that mean like adult toys? I'm not <laughs> sure. For the most part, people will see what I'm talking about before. I, like, I don't use the phrase adult toys because I yeah I associate that with, yeah. with, with that as much as anybody toys, does. Yeah. Um, but most of the time, like I'll be carrying around a bear or, or a dragon or... Yeah. Or something, and people ask about them, and then I'll start talking about the toys. So, what, so what's your main type of clientele? Maybe like who, who's who's the adults that are buying uh, the stuffies? 
most of them lately, and it, like it's a, it's changed. It's, I've pivoted so many times. Um, who it's written for right now? Who what the copy on the site is talking about are people who are in some spectrum with uh, with me in terms of uh, it. Definitely, like comfort is a an aspect of it. Um, so they're not getting comfort somewhere else, and so they're using a, a stuffy or a bear or a dragon to get their to 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 relax them or to comfort them. Oh, it's not necessarily that they're not getting comfort somewhere else. Like it's it's this isn't a, a treatment for anything or a okay or a or an everything thing. Yeah. Um. Like I I started carrying t- trouble around. I was living with my my I guess boyfriend now husband. Um. And like I'm close with my parents. Whoops. Um, <laughs> and talkers. We got quieter springs. <laughs> um, I, I like I don't come from trauma. I don't come from. Uh, you have good caring parents. Yeah, and like loving family. It's not a I'm broken and I needed this to fix me. Okay. Um, some people who who love toys or carry around toys do feel that they are more broken or do come from much rougher backgrounds than I do. Um, but that's not the reason that this happens. Um, I don't see it as a, uh, deficiency or, or, uh, even this is like, there is overlap with mental health struggles sometimes. Um, but it is not a symptom of it. It is a, a preference of, items in the world that they just have this stigma so that it, when you get to a certain age, most people will have at least the question. Yeah. Um, and what I thought when I started carrying around was I would feel that from every single person. I thought if I carry a teddy bear outside, just like the weight of the world's disapproval will be on my <laughs> shoulders constantly. So what did you feel? N- almost nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> Alonzo Bowden has this great uh, line. He's a he's an American comedian. He says, you know who cares less about your problems than you do? Everybody <laughs> else. <laughs> that's yep. usually the that's truth, great. right? And yeah, and like I'll walk past 100 people and 98 won't acknowledge or notice or, yeah. or whatever. Um, one to two people will smile yeah. or, or ask him or wave at him. Yeah. Um, and... <laughs> And then, like, a third of a percent of people will kind of give me a sideways. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, and that is the worst it's ever been. Huh. Um, so before we get too far away from the adult toy questions, do you have requests for stuff like that? Like, is there some, I don't know, what are they called Furbies or Furries? Or there's adults that... Why are you looking at me? I don't know. Maybe you have the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I... Uh, I, I heard about this group of people that uh, dress up like stuffed animals, and then that's a it's a sexual thing for them. So, do you have like those kind of clientele? Do you have those kinds of requests? I have not worked with with furries. Um, that's my the real name. You know that's furry, furry. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> You're so old, Chad. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> um, I do. I know some of that community. Um, to my understanding, it's sometimes a sexual thing. It is sometimes a kind of community thing, a wanting to, like the dressing up is just a an identity exploration thing. Yeah. Um, I don't make costumes, uh, and I don't make anything big enough. Th- th- yeah, like it's 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 not really a crossover for what they need. Okay. So it hasn't been a lot of uh, overlap. Some some people in just kind of alt sexuality communities do again overlap a bit with 
whatever. Like it's um, littles, especially are a what, what, what are a subset littles? in there. Littles are again another thing that's kind of a it can be a sexual thing sometimes. Can just be a personal exploration thing of uh, I want to do air quotes regressing or play acting in. Oh, when um, they act like a, a younger the, an age. Ad, when a, a, an adult male wears a diaper and yeah, that. so that would be an adult baby technically. But yeah, okay. um, there's there's a whole spectrum in there of of people who are just really interested in exploring the inner child hmm. essentially. Um, so that is where most of most of any of that world would overlap with me. Yeah. Is that, but again, the toys, like I, I make toys for, uh, grandparents to give their grandchildren because they know that they like this particular animal and it's hard to find that. Okay. I make toys for, uh, adults who have their toys that they've loved for 25 years or so and the toys are falling apart. So I make a you kind of an honor. Them. Yeah. Um, I've also made kind of memorial pieces out of, um, like grandma's old coat for the grandkids so that the coat oh, doesn't get lost. Cool. Um, yeah, it's really, it's about, it's about the connection to toys as a, as a relationship builder, as an empathy connection object, which is totally what they are. Like we accept that for kids. Yeah. Um, but that thread, it's just about that thread carrying through however far it goes in whoever it is there for. Yeah. And so is this a full-time job for you? This is, this is like your, your living it is not. I am very selective about the projects I take on. Oh, okay. Um, I do. That's why I said it's a long list of things, <laughs> things that I do. Yeah. Uh, if I wanted it to be uh, a full full time business, it would be it would be easy to do in a number of ways. Okay. Um, but every direction would be either taking me out of being the one to make the things. Yeah. Because um, to scale that, like, there's only so many I can. I could totally physically sit and that. make. Yeah. Um, so I would either be scaling up so that other people were making them and I was more the designer or the like marketer um or I would be outsourcing entirely mm-hmm. um so these or are I like would, sorry to cut you off these are more like real art pieces like if you sat down and paint you're not going to ha- hire 30 people to paint a painting for you exactly yeah very cool yeah so what else do you do uh music I know um I did look up um, what was the name of the song I listened to. The right place. Oh yeah, oh, that's a very cool song. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, that's been a an interesting kind of woven into my life thing too. I've sung and written songs since I was a baby, and or like four years old. I have the first song that I performed live. Um, I didn't start performing publicly or or technically professionally until six years ago. Okay. Um and two and a half years ago, my ears developed hypersensitivity to sound hmm. and I couldn't stand to speak like my own vo- voice was painful to hear. Oh, wow. At normal volume. So I couldn't go to a bar or yeah. a movie or What causes sing. that? Nobody's super sure. Some people get it after they like are drummers in a rock band and stick their head in the bass <laughs> drum while they're playing. Um, so like real, real. You heard this before? Noise trauma? No, no, um, I've I, never heard this. Before. He, heard the he's opposite. an old Brody. <laughs> it's it's super like rare for that to be the reaction. Like, heard, most um, of the time you lose hearing. Yeah, I've heard guys getting their like the wax cleaned out of their ears, and then they come into a venue, and there's just certain frequencies that are just painful, physically yeah. painful to have to hear once you have that right. clog removed. But I know a lot of construction workers that went through that as well, and they get their ears professionally clean. Like, they put the drops in there, and then they flush it out. Then all of a sudden, everything's on, like, 
volume, mm-hmm. 120 decibel. I don't know if that's allowed. That sounds loud. I don't think it's the same thing, though. It doesn't sound. No. No. Well, and that would, like, once they get used to having their ears cleaned again, most of the time that, that settles down. Yeah. Um, but same, I mean, same sort of idea. It's just okay. the ears literally hear better. I'm like, like superhero here. Almost better, but it's really painful to exist in the normal world. Yeah. Um, like, I got tested for it, and I could hear sounds that most other humans can't hear oh, wow. um, in the softness ranges, but at a normal level, I couldn't stand it. So it's, it's, it's really rare. I didn't get it from trauma, noise trauma. Um, How long did it last? A year and a half or so. Oh, wow. Um, so would you say locked up in your house with a blanket around your head? I did not. That would have made it much, much worse. Oh, really? Um, for the same reason that the people who get their ears cleaned that hurts if you like the instinct is absolutely to put in earplugs and wear giant noise canceling headphones everywhere. But your ears uh, with hyperacusis especially will take on that as normal. And then you can't stand whispering. Um, so it was the, the the treatment and, and like if anybody listening has this or it sounds like you have this, um, I would recommend going to see a specialist about it. Um, there is one, in Calgary, that's like the only one in Western Canada. Oh wow, you're lucky. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, and a lot of the time, the treatment for it is similar to a treatment for for tinnitus. They are related. Okay. Um, and it is retraining therapy. So you listen to uh, pink noise, which is uh, just a narrower. It's basically white noise, which is all frequencies. Yeah. Uh, pink noise is just more of the frequencies that you would encounter in normal life. Okay. And you use that to desensitize yourself back down to normal. Wow. Um, it did not go super well for me. So what I ended up doing is kind of the same thing, but, um, with my own, uh, I didn't use a program. I just went out in the world in small doses as much as possible. Okay. Um, and had hope and, (laughs) (laughs) and eventually just, you got used to it and yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, it started dropping off. I also had a concussion last September and did end up locked in a room with blankets for two months. Um, Light sensitivity and noise sensitive sensitivity. Yeah. 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 And could do nothing and watch nothing and talk to nobody and learn nothing. Wow. Um, so I have no idea why after that the ears got better because yeah. they shouldn't have based on everything I've read, but they did and I'll take it. Um, mm-hmm. It's gone. They're, they're not perfect. It kind of goes up and down, but I'm, I am able to sing again, so I've been performing, practicing performing, uh, or at least like stepping out again a little bit since this spring. So that song that I heard, you were singing it at the Blind Beggar downtown Calgary. You still performing there? I haven't been there. I I literally like, uh, it's been years since I've been almost anywhere. Um, My last show was actually up here in Airdrie at uh, Volunteer Gala. When was that? It was really lovely. Uh, May, May, June. I don't remember yeah. it. Hmm. Burt Church. Okay. That's great theater. That was nice. Yeah, yeah. So what else do you do? <laughs> uh, I spend time with my husband and stepchildren, which is still really interesting to say because we got married a couple months ago. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. I I spent a year making paper flowers for that wedding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much anything that involves... Uh, making something new that wasn't there before, cool. I am super, super down with and on top of. Cool. Um, 
So you just the kind of person that sits around the house, does arts and crafts, builds bears. Uh, it's more of a goal than a current reality. There's that definitely we're, um, my husband and I are working on taking the things that we do for money and kind of marrying them as well so that we end up with more more freedom to sit around and make bears because that is absolutely (laughs) (laughs) how i would like to spend a lot of the rest of my life very cool um with the bears, i have uh in my workshop i'll have uh i have my desk i have kind of a couple of working spaces and then an entire wall behind me is an ikea kind of the cube shelf five across and five five up um of bears nice it is the happiest place <laughs> <laughs> again i think we're on opposite scales the uh I, I don't know that i was even a bear kid when i was little and neither mm. one of my kids were like they just didn't have i don't know if it's they, no they got them they had them um, my daughter had a little mickey mouse for I don't know she was maybe three or four and then she was just like bet you're not fun anymore and that went away and she got into art and so if uh if you find my daughter anywhere she's just got a pen and paper in hand mm. and she's drawing or painting or sculpting or creating some art uh and my son's the opposite he's uh um well, i shouldn't say he's the opposite but he's a he's a gamer yeah. <laughs> you give him the time he'd spend 20 <laughs> he'd pass out of the computer wake up at the computer we have to take timeouts just to feed him and send him to school and stuff <laughs> my brother's kind of like that yeah yeah i don't i don't get that stuff i'm not i'm not a gamer either you're more of a setting fires guy eh? uh, i was kind of little boys eh? <laughs> they, they play video games or they set fires i was uh the setting fire stealing stuff and punching people in the face kind of yeah. boy that's that's my background so teddy bears weren't weren't a big part of of who i grew up being at all so it, again this is a little bit outside of our our understanding at all we're we're mm. just not there so um so the teddy bears the singing um you said you got lots on the go what else uh art it's really um we like exploring the mountains um Hiking. that's definitely home for for my husband he uh, grew up in alaska so oh wow he, uh, yeah we drive we drive west and there's kind of a coming home yeah thing very cool there um I have, I spend time uh, connecting with the community that I found through Trouble the Bear. Um, Cause I, I, that came about because I had carried, I'd carried around for a little bit. I'd kind of like taken him to work, hid him, hidden him in the lunch bag, um, gone back there every once in a while to boop his nose and feel better <laughs> uh, before I started carrying him openly. And then when I was carrying him openly, I would like set him down on something. Well, he's so cute. And I take a picture and I ended up with like 50 pictures on my phone. Yeah. I'm like, well, this is kind of a waste of something. Um, <laughs> Instagram Digital exists. Digital space. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I didn't want to throw them away and I didn't want to never see them again. So I thought, okay, even if it's, even if nobody ever looks at, at it, or even if people say, or if people like come after me, I might take it down. But like I, there, it, there's this media platform. I can post them. I can have him speak and have his little personality on, uh, or his big personality on the web there and I can go back and review it and, and I'll like that. Yeah. And I I started doing that and I would get people to comment on it and they their names were whoever the bear, uh, somebody fish, <laughs> that little owl. Like um, there is there is a community that is a kind of like a different separate community than the ones we've already talked about of people of all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of ages mainly but not entirely female, yeah. um, who 
their their adventure buddies. Um, they they have their bear, and it may or may not be a comfort object. It may or may not be something that they've had all their life. But they'll go they'll go like I'm in Hawaii now, and here's my bear, yeah. and here's the volcano. Um, <laughs> Uh, and it can be big adventures or it can be like, and now we're learning how to use our new coffee maker. Um, yeah, I've seen lots of Instagram people doing uh, different objects, but bears and, exactly, and yeah. stuff and is for sure. And again, like I don't think uh, bears and stuffed animals are the be all end all of of connection or of, of this kind of object importance. Yeah. Um, they just tend to be high on the list for a lot of people because of the way they're built, their faces, the way uh, you can look into their eyes and that's not true of most objects it's like dolls and bears yeah. uh, and when i say bears i mean all stuffed Stuffies, stuffed animals plushies. bears are, are my my top animal yeah. but i feel like I'm, trouble's best friend is a shark named fedor fish okay um, <laughs> so how did you find out that this is what people want or how'd you how'd you end up going down this road to to you know create a business out of making stuffies uh for adults i just love them and sh- talked about them all the time um i I found it a lot easier to not be ashamed of the making of them mm-hmm. uh, than I did of the carrying around the one that you that I bought in the store. These are uh, trouble, and many many of my bears are snuffles by the company Gund. Um, and I thought I felt like it was weird to do that, but if I made them, then I'm an artist. Yeah. If I <laughs> <laughs> and I can just be an artist, and this is what I make. Um, and that wasn't the motivation to make them, but I was making them anyway. Yeah. And it was easier to to say I'm a toy maker. Um, so that happened a lot earlier. Um, and then, I, like I, I just made them for myself, or I made them as gifts. The first one I made that kind of got the ball rolling was I was taking a, a course in like commercial modeling, and uh, the head of the agency had a granddaughter in the hospital, and. Uh, she said that she liked elephants and she said that she knew that I was working at an animation studio. So figured I could draw. I didn't feel like I could draw, uh, but I figured I could probably make an elephant, uh, out of paper. I decided first. Yeah. So I went and looked up patterns for how to do papercraft elephant and I didn't like anything I found and I didn't know how to design a papercraft. So I figured I'd give it a shot with uh, felt and I had a pile of felt and some thread and I sat down for eight hours and at the end of that oh, eight wow. hours I had an elephant. <laughs> Is that how long it takes to make uh, most of the animals? The the first ones, pretty it's six to eight, and they are all of the little felt ones that you can see on the website are hand stitched. So they are like needle and thread in my hands back and forth, everyone. Yeah. Uh, the bigger ones, like the uh, they're called drop buddies on, on the website, are uh, combination machine and hand stitched. Um, it just makes it so that I can increase in size without equally or exponentially increasing in hand strain. Yeah. Um, but I definitely, some of the things that you'll get uh, getting toys from me as opposed to a store is the, like everything that is mass produced has to be designed so that the machine can do everything or almost everything. Right. Um, and I don't have that restriction. So I can like, you'll see a lot of times, like you can see on trouble, and I, I do hold up this gun snuffles as pretty much the perfect stuffed animal. Like, it, it, not that not that others can't be perfect too, um, but in terms of five specific elements that I can get to in, in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is not bad for things to have to be sewn all by, by machine. Yeah. Um, it just gives you some more options if you're looking for something custom to have somebody like me make 
them where I can put something just in the middle of a piece of fabric instead of like uh, you can see on the snuffles. And if you're listening, you can Google it. Um, the ears and the tail will all be along a seam that makes mm. the rest of the body up because you're just sewing one line. Uh, whereas with the horns on the dragon that you can see on my site, um, the horns are in a spot that isn't like they're not flat at the bottom and they're not they're not part of the built seam. into the seam. They're they're just where I wanted them because I sewed them on after. Yeah. Um, and you could yeah. get yeah. China can't get a machine to do that. Not that I have ever seen. <laughs> Probably makes sense. The um, so how long ago did you decide that? Oh, I I want to make this as a business. How long? Or when did you start the website, maybe? Um, I I s- never intended for it to be a business. A lot, of, a lot of the things I do for money, I don't think of as much as businesses, as just services that I provide <laughs> when people want them for money. <laughs> that, that's an artist mentality, um, for sure. <laughs> I mean, and like, I, I do things that are businesses, and they, they do feel very different. Yeah. Um, and like, my husband's a business coach, so like, I'm very... Aware of the kind of different pieces of that, um, of what it takes to to make something that you know will last uh, without you, or that will support your family, or that will financial gain, um, retirement, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, and this is not intended to be that. Um, And if it, like I said, if it was, it would be so much of a different process in life. And I don't. People have always said, uh, when they see this stuff, like you should go on Shark Tank and see if you can get, uh, <laughs> which I thought was silly, but like flattering. Yeah. Um, but say that they did, like say that they're like, okay, here's $500,000 and we're going to get um, however many of these made and distributed across North America and they're going to be in, not Toys R Us anymore, but you know, wherever it would be. be another um, online venue. Possibly. Um, because we think they're going to sell so much. Um that's like where would that put me as as an artist as yeah. a business owner it might put me in a an okay spot but then if i'm managing distribution and supply chain and overseas negotiations and <laughs> and like assembly line troubles and like fulfillment centers and yeah, all that like, stuff yeah that is not what i love <laughs> yeah um so like no matter how much i love the toys um if if pushing them closer towards a, uh, you know, a financial asset, um, big business type thing takes me away from them, then it's the wrong thing to do. Yeah. I'd much rather build a totally different kind of thing that can support me doing them. Yeah. Well, you're realistically, you're looking at more of a, um, what is it, quality over quantity situation. Like for a business, it'd have to be a much, much higher price. It sounds as opposed to higher production is what you're looking at to maintain. Absolutely. Yeah. The yeah. other, and that's what I said, there's a, there's, it would be easy to make it full time in one of several ways. Like what I just laid out is one of them. Yeah. Um, I talked to a guy who runs a, uh, uh, I think his site's called global toy experts. Okay. And he like speaks at toy conferences and, and owns several offshoot successful things. I think he, did he design Teddy Ruxpin or something, something like that. Um, Nope, that was Stephen Teddy Rockspin. That's that crazy talking bear. Yeah. Turn on the middle uh, of the night. Yeah, it's a different guy, though. Um, <laughs> I don't want to reason. Whoops. Anyway, um, and he looked at my stuff. He's like, this is really beautiful. I can see how much you care about it. It's not 
something that you would send to a factory and make yeah. X many of. They're not, des- they're, they're not designed that way. Um, so the way he suggested I go about it, if I wanted to do that is, um, just shoot for the people with the most money yeah. and sell it on how, how incredibly unique you can make a single thing. Yeah. Um, if there's only one of them and that's, that's what actually what I started out doing is I didn't even make patterns when I would sew them. Like when I made the elephant, I'd sat down with the felt by the end I had an elephant and nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. what happened from that was people started, I carried around a, like a business card with a picture mm-hmm. of it and a couple others that I'd made as gifts and they would look at it and say, can you make me one of those? And what I had expected is that for them to look at it and say, can you make me this other thing? Yeah. Um, and they were all going to be one of a kind. And that would be the way to do it from now because I've grown obviously a lot as an artist in almost a decade in ability. Yeah. Um, and I can deliver that kind of value. But again, uh, with more complexity comes more physical difficulty. Yeah. Um, I made, I did the memorial coat thing with a, just a lovely soft lambsel coat and I made th- two, two or three pandas and two or three black bears hmm. out of it. Um, cause I was worried there wasn't going to be enough coats. So the pandas kind of stretched it out <laughs> <laughs> and they're so cute. Um, but working with the thicker material and that had to all be hand stitched as yeah. well. Cause way harder you doing need a whole a... new machine set up to, to machine stitch leather and it doesn't, it's not as strong. Yeah. Um, to machine stitch after that, Week. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Someone let a dog in the studio. <laughs> Don't shake your head at me. You can't afford a studio yet. <laughs> the uh, the model that you're talking about from the uh, the toy entrepreneur guy is very much the model that um, custom knife makers use. Mm-hmm. They don't necessarily have a, a set of knives that you can buy. You just phone up. Uh, I can't remember the, the the most recent guy that I looked up, and he's like, "Yeah, I want a set of steak knives." And he's like, "Okay," and that's you get whatever he makes. That's what it is. But mm-hmm. there's like a ten year waiting list to to get him to make you, you know, a butcher knife or a cleaver or, or whatever. You can pick the style of knife, but not the the makeup or the design mm-hmm. of the knife. So that's cool. That sounds similar to what he was talking about. Just that you're the artist. You're the um, uh, famous or, you know, everyone wants to have a Picasso, right? So if you're the Picasso, then we're going to buy your, your stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's, it is a model at the beginning. It's less of a model and more of a goal, like Hmm. uh, an aim because you can't, you can't start out and be like, I'm going to be Picasso and people are (laughs) going to buy my stuff because I'm so famous already Yeah. when you're not famous yet. Uh, and I'm not saying that's impossible. Um, and if you're making things, that are good enough and that you can make the people who can afford them aware of the value, then you don't have to be famous to start out. Um, but what I was just going to say is I, after that week of making those bears, my hand hurt for a month. Um, something happened with like the tendon between two fingers and just like opening and closing my hand hurt. Like, and I can't imagine what, how much, or I can't imagine that that would have gotten a lot worse if I had had a consistent, stream of that kind of project. Yeah. Um, and to make a living, even if you're charging the th- upward of a thousand dollars or a stuffy or whatever, yeah. um, is more than one a month. Like <laughs> you gotta, yeah, do you want to wake at least to working, make yeah. a living? Yeah. And if, if, you know, if that's, if you're good and that's what you want to do and your body holds up with that, um, 
I think awesome. Like, go for it. Um, none of none of me saying that this is not the life I want to have is saying that it's not a good path. It's um, like a tradesman, right? The guy that goes and hangs drywall every day, or you know, pulls wires, or puts plumbing in, or does roofing. He just does the exact same thing over and over again every day until his body breaks down or her yeah. body breaks down. Who yeah. wants to have a living like that? <laughs> Apparently, some people. <laughs> some people. Well, we need them. Uh, that that's a, where marketing comes in, though. Yeah. Like, you just have to sell the the bandages from your hands with the with the <laughs> item you send out. I think what is it? Rarity, demand, and uh, a good story is what creates value in yeah. uh, artisanal objects. Like, take wine. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bottle of wine that's over fifty dollars, generally speaking. It's not better than a bottle of wine that's twenty dollars. Probably about the same. Yeah. But it's going to be a smaller production. It's going to have a lot of interest from being marketed, and it's going to have a good story behind it. It's probably right. going to come from you know like blind monks that <laughs> crush each each individual grape by hand, right? right. Yeah. So yeah, you, you definitely you build emotion around the the business, right? That if right. you if you can sell the emotion, the excitement, the happiness, the whatever, then you know that's the pain what the, of manufacturing, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, and yeah. I mean that's that's part of it for the people who who buy from me always because um. Knowing knowing the artist is is where I kind of sit. Yeah. Um, knowing the artist, having a relationship that goes throughout the creation process. Um, like there's a place, there are places online you can go and get, like send in a drawing and they'll make a stuffy of it. Mm-hmm. Um, send in a picture of your pet and they'll make a stuffy of it. I just saw um, one where you can send in your actual pet and they'll make a stuffy out of it. <laughs> I'm not kidding. There is that too. Yeah. Um, by the way, that's really creepy. If you have your dog stuffed and keep it in your house, or if you have it Make turned it into, into a, a quadricopter, <laughs> I saw that yeah. someone took a cat and made it into a, a drone, and so this cat, all four paws going out, was stuffed, and they would fly the cat around. Taxidermy. <laughs> Taxidermy. Creative. Sorry to cut you off. <laughs> so I guess um, I'm still trying to figure out uh, the the culture behind the stuffed animals is there is it sort of a uh what am i thinking here the security blanket sort of metaphor does that kind of work with it for some people yeah um yeah i mean trouble for me personally and like i i want to be really careful that i i am a part of this it's all i hesitate even to call it a culture because i've talked about a couple different sides of it and they are not necessarily even related to each other other than that I know and relate to pieces of both of them. Yeah. Um, so as much as, you know, for anybody listening to this, I am probably seen as the spokesperson because they haven't heard anybody else talk about it. Um, my story is... Is there anyone else doing it? Making... Selfies by hand, like... It, like yeah. Okay. Yeah, there, I mean, the, I don't know of anybody or many who are doing it with, um, with as openly on the site about it like the the awareness of that it's not just for kids mm-hmm. um it is because something behind it more than just a part-time job mentality i think is um you know there are people with full-time businesses making, right. making there's their like toys there's... most of the time they have uh assistant um seamstresses or seam right like I know there's, you can go online and find people that'll just make you a stuffed animal yeah. and it's purely a job for them it's a way to bring in some extra money but then there's also like the artisanal artisanal sort of aspect that you're yeah. talking about which i think is a different different type of thing i think it is and i think there's a spectrum between those two right um i know that like when i say for me like i don't want 
I am I am happy with people coming to me that aren't necessarily super affluent, um, wanting a custom thing, and I choose projects based on the connection with those people. Okay. I choose projects based on love, um, and I don't want to give that up. So the the people who choose instead to uh, you know widen their acceptance of kinds of projects or widen their or or accept more uh, outsourced work in their own businesses uh, or who aim for, for, you know, whatever um, bracket of income of people to sell to, um, they are not worse and they don't care less. Mm -hmm. Um, They have just made different choices in how they want to structure their business and how much of their life they want that business to be. Um, As far as a culture of adults who love stuffies, I am... Uh, obviously not alone, like I said at the beginning, like I said about Instagram, in carrying them around. Um, and But there's a really wide spectrum of the kind of attachment uh, and the kind of need that there may or may not be. Like I know people who are like do have severe anxiety, are on medication for anxiety, and have their bear. And that's a part of how they are managing the world, a part of how they are placing themselves in the world. And uh, sometimes whatever part of that combination leads them to like be able to leave the house. Um, I think that's a good thing to, mm-hmm. to have that be part of that. Um, that is not the majority. Um, and it is not, not a rule and it is again, not a better or worse, um, reason. Yeah. Everyone has a security blanket of some sort. I think that's true. I I'd have to say my phone is probably mine. Never yeah. leaves my side. <laughs> and I don't think I, you're alone I, in that either. Yeah, I feel very comfortable carrying it. I don't feel guilty or anything like that when uh, I've got my phone with me or on me. Um, you know, if it's a teddy bear or a blanket or, you know, uh, my dad used to carry a, um, a pocket knife that his, his dad had. That was his security blanket, I think. He just had his pocket knife all the time. Yeah. You sure he wasn't just into stabbing? <laughs> I doubt it. I don't. I wasn't with him all the time, all so the I time. can't comment yeah. on that completely. Is there? I know we kind of uh, are trying to avoid the community or the culture of it, but are there are there social aspects to uh, this this stuffed animal sort of thing? Like, are there meetups or like uh, things so around adults being able to come together in person uh, as opposed to just online, like you were saying, yeah. with Instagram? There's not a lot of organization around it. Um, I know that. There is in 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 kind of the most active circle of the part of the Instagram community that I have been in, um, there are a number of people who will go visit each other. Um, there usually aren't more than two or three of them together at it's once. It's not like here's a bar night; the entire bar is going to be stuffed animals and people that like stuffed animals, and we're going to get. Drunk you should totally that'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's, it's hard to tell, right? Because if it's, uh, like you're saying, it, it could be a wide spectrum, but if anxiety is a factor that, then perhaps I could see, you know, that might not be the most comfortable environment, or if judge, judgment is an issue, then maybe making it public would be an issue too. So I'm, uh, but with that For said, some people. Like, yeah. m- I think most of the ones, once they get on Instagram, um, like that, that would probably be the place to market it, to, to put mm-hmm. it together. I know that there aren't a ton around here, um, at least that I've encountered online. Um, there are probably pockets in the States when you, where you could put together a meetup with the people who are close enough by, um, with that. And, and there are definitely enough of them who are on Instagram. So obviously they're already sharing that, that is them, especially if it wasn't, um, if it was a like private public place, like you were rented out a whole place. Yeah. Um, 
then I don't, I don't think it's an insurmountable uh, fear. And I definitely think that having it on my website, um, whatever tiny amount of impact that can have for people who happen to read it at, at, at a point in, in a journey, if they are taking a journey from being ashamed and not being ashamed, um, if I can be a part of that, that is why. I'm up there. Like, it have is, you noticed that maybe different parts of the world are a little less uh, open to that? Like, I think people would be surprised that Calgary is, I wouldn't say open-minded, but people just really don't care what other people are doing. <laughs> and that therefore, be the, case. <laughs> the judgment just isn't there. They're just, everyone's got their own thing going, do whatever you want. As long as it doesn't bother me, I don't really care. Whereas I could see other parts of the world where people are just looking for a reason to give other people a problem. I don't. I don't know that, that I can talked speak about much? No? to that. I know that there are people from all over the world on on Instagram. So I, sometimes I can't read what they're right. posting because it's in whatever character language yeah. it is and I can't read it. Um, and Instagram's translation doesn't work very well at all. Right. Um, <laughs> so I know that I know that the the love in whatever level of publicity for that person exists everywhere. Right. Uh, to some degree, I know that I have lived in Calgary since I was one. Um, so I don't have any other culture weighing on me that way. And my parents like unschooled me and my brother and have supported every kind of wacky artistic or, or strange thing I've ever done. No schooling? Like you guys were homeschooled or? We were homeschooled without a curriculum. Oh. Um, which unschooling, which sounds like taking away education and that's not what it is. Um, but yes, we, my brother and I grew up with my mom at home. We had school groups, or unschool groups. We had, we had groups of other uh, unschooling parents that we would go and do kind of the field trippy things that school go kids would do. And, yeah. yeah. Um, and we would take classes in things that we were interested in. So basically, it's kind of like giving access to a college experience from kindergarten. Yeah. Um, everything was driven by what we were interested in and... And what we cared about, what we wanted to do, and and we learned all as like we learned as much as we needed to of whatever you would put in the slots Math, of reading, what school, writing, yeah, that kind of um, stuff through the lens of whatever we cared about. Okay, how does that equate to uh, post secondary, or is that just not a stream that's considered for you just continue that that pace throughout life? Or uh, if I wanted, to, if I had wanted to go to college university, mm-hmm. um, I could have done a number of things. There are some. Some schools that specifically recognize unschooling as a legitimate path up to that, and they'll just let you take a test, and if you pass it, you get in. It's like a GED okay. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, if I if I wouldn't have passed that test for whatever reason, like if I needed algebra or whatever, um, to do whatever I wanted to do, or if that was a standard thing on the test, you can you can pretty much teach everything that you learn in high school to an adult who is ready to learn and there to learn in six months. Hmm. So I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that at all. Actually, I'm really curious about this because um, uh, there's a lot of talk about universities being useless now, and they're they're more about indoctrinating people instead of educating people. And and even elementaries and middle schools and high schools seem to be a little bit that way now, where they're not really teaching kids how to learn. They're they're just filling their brain full of information so they can repeat it later. Um, Growing up in your environment, I'm guessing you had. I don't know. I, I, are, were you more challenged? Was it like, are you, do you think you're a better learner of being in an unschooled than being in school? I do. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have, I took one test 
in grades in what would have been grade six because I was curious about whatever else did. Um, but I didn't study for that test. I just kind of had the papers and handed and I passed everything. Yeah. Um, and there is, there is a, a facilitator for if you are, like you have to be registered with the school board, you get a facilitator every six months. My brother and I both got checked on by her and she would, uh, can I ask what we were going, what we were learning, how we were learning it, what we had been up to, and then write a report for the school board that talked about how that all touched on. She wrote the report. She did. Yeah. Yeah, so we would kind of have like a show and tell. It was very exciting. <laughs> it sounds like <laughs> it. I, I, I never thought I'd be smart enough to teach my own kids, and I'm probably not. But this sounds like a very cool way of educating, um, e- even if it's a small, not your own kids, but a small group of kids. Yeah, I mean, well, I think the, the it takes a village mentality is a lot easier to get into with this because I did, like my my dad is a university professor. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom has a degree. She. Um, so they they took that whole they took the whole my dad was like whole route. top student in whatever big area not the what, country but whatever next what field one. is he in he's he teaches English and okay. uh, poetry yeah uh, he has a graphic novel course too um cool he's pretty cool yeah um so I think that they more than more than some parents could have gone into it with we have the smarts to pass on, these onto our children to be their teachers. That's not really how the process works. And it's, it's amazing to me that, that they or anybody does this mm-hmm. because it's such a leap from what's expected. Um, I do think that, side note, that is what has helped me be able to do this with the toys and with every other non-traditional thing I've done because I'm like, I love this. This is really cool. I'm going to do it is more important than... And it's easy for you to figure out how. Like, you have that type of brain that whatever you have passion for, you can just learn it, read about it, watch, and then do. Pretty much, or at least I'm willing to start before I'm good um, because there is no F either. That, like, that's really big too, right? Because a lot of people don't do things because they're not going to be good at it. And yeah. so, and nobody's really good at something um, when they first started. It no. takes some time to practice. Sometimes you have to do it privately. We just plopped up all of our podcasts, and I think <laughs> they've gotten better um, over time. But they, yeah. they definitely weren't good when we first started, and they're they're a bit better now, and they will be better ten years down the road. Absolutely. It's having that courage to wait. We uh, got to do this for ten years. <laughs> I don't. I, <laughs> maybe I don't know. We'll see. You can do this for ten. Years. All right, you're bailing out already. Okay, I didn't realize the commitment on this one. <laughs> I was going to ask you, um, so there's the whole, the whole, everyone I'm sure has heard by now that our school system was based on creating good factory workers, not about good learners, good thinkers. With that said though, we have a a culture that's designed to take those factory workers and put them into factory working type jobs, whether that, even if it's not a factory, regardless of what industry it is, all industries are being run now by people that came up in a factory working system. With your background, have you found it difficult to relate to jobs where that is the case? Ooh, that's good. Thank you, Chad. That is, <laughs> that is good. It is, uh, well, for, there's a couple different things about this. Uh, one, in terms of getting and working those jobs, yes and no. Um, no in that I've never found it hard to get a job um, because I will get a job because I care about something about it. Um, whether that's the thing they're doing or the fact that I can make money and be independent for the first time, like when I was 14 or whatever, it was when so you're allowed ki- to start working. Sorry, what um, kind of jobs have you had just to qualify like the, the ones you're going after? Um, some arts, I worked, I worked at a chiropractic office, 
I have worked for an independent animation studio. I've worked for a costume making uh, kind of sub thing that was doing uh, native jewelry for HBO. Um, I have worked at a Kenworth a truck place in the just a office. full range, eh? yeah, <laughs> pretty big spectrum. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I mean, I've, I've I've been working for, I've been I've been working for money for coming up on ten years because I got to start whenever I felt like I wanted to experience the world. Yeah, which was as soon as which was way before I was allowed to. <laughs> um, so it's 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 not been hard for me to get jobs because when I want them, I want them because I care, um, and I. I see them as either a vehicle to the next thing I want to go to or, uh, or an inherent passion in themselves. And if, if I see them as a vehicle that will take me to the next place, it's only going to take me there if I do really well at it. So I'm going to go above and beyond. I'm going to be really engaged with it. And when you come into a job interview with that attitude, People like it. <laughs> yeah. Do I do spray foam? I'm hiring for spray foam right now. <laughs> well, it's funny. Like, I always think to myself, when you go to a fast food restaurant, you can tell that the person there just does not care about their job whatsoever. And you're thinking to yourself, well, if that's how you treat this job, why would anyone want to give you a better job? Yeah. You're, um, yeah. I mean, there, there is, there's kind of, there, there's absolutely responsibility. I'm very big on personal responsibility. Um, in terms of, the other aspect of relating to factory type jobs is there actually are not enough factories anymore or factory like related jobs. Be- like you see the world is not working right. the way it is for the people who have gone through this system. We need more and more people who are, who are ready to think, who are ready to create something, who are ready to, um, Entrepreneurial, do things differently. Creative, yeah. yeah. Um, so going through this system is setting you up to be, totally ready for a dying way of life. Hmm. Um, especially if you've gone even more, if you've gone specialized into post-secondary and now you're like a plastics specific engineer and there's only like two companies that could possibly ever hire you. Um, you've gone how much into debt, spent how much of your life being ready for that one thing and nothing else. What, what I realize with most professionals is they just sort of repeat the same thing over and over again, right? If you're a heart surgeon, not saying that it's not hard to be a heart surgeon, but you're essentially going to do... it's pretty easy, actually. You're going to do a bunch of surgeries that are almost always identical. And so it's how is that different than being a drywaller or a plumber? Like, yeah. you, you're not really... I've got a buddy that's an engineer, and he goes, I don't do any engineering. I manage people. So it's just they have their systems in place, but you need to have this ticket or this degree to get mm-hmm. to be, and they go and do that. And so if you're not creative, you're not into. I mean, obviously your parents taught you about growth and and uh, self awareness and and going after things on your own and being good at them, like the the responsibility and stuff like that. They don't get that in school, and they don't get it generally in the public either. I don't think. No, because it's it's dangerous to the thing, to the uh, kind of top down factory. Yeah, it's tricky because that's a massive paradigm shift you're talking about, though, to change the factory mentality to the 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 artisan, the entrepreneur. Um, Because you're not just talking about changing how you raise kids, which is a good what twenty year investment. You're Mm -hmm. talking about changing the environment that they grow up in too, which is the parents who up until now have not seen anything wrong. Like I know a lot of people who are proud of how miserable they are. Like (laughs) I get up way earlier than I want to. I don't want to go do the job that I go do. I hate my family. 
and I hate everything that I encounter over the day, and I'm way more miserable than you are, and I'm proud of that. I've seen those people online yeah. for sure. And so when that person comes home and raises their kids for the next 20 years, that's not going to matter that you're teaching that kid a different system to live in because they're coming up with the most important person in their life having goals of misery. It's yeah, I mean, generational long... Um, cultural changes that'll actually make the change. In culture, yeah, culture is a good way of putting it too. Yeah. There is also, though, I mean, kids are smart. Um, and as much as they can hear the pride of the misery that are in those people who are like really ingrained in that being a good thing, um, they are also watching the misery. They are also watching their marriages not work out of their parents. They're also watching there be no retirement um, real like net, like we do, we are not ready. Nobody's ready to retire almost. No. Um, it's just like, there's not a plan. It's I'm going to, I've heard, uh, friends my age. Yeah. We were like, no, I'm yeah, ready if to I retire, work, but I'm going to live in a van. So. <laughs> <laughs> if I work until I'm 85, then yeah. maybe I can make, if, if I live that long, I can make it another two years. But that's another in a van or something like that's, yeah. we are, we are seeing that there are problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It isn't, uh, like the, the promise that school, good grades, good job, good Give college, good, good career um, is like being revealed. It is revealed to not be the We were case. actually just talking about, what was it, Blue Zones? Yeah. Where one of the qualifiers for really long age is to have value into your, your older years. And it's funny because people look at, well, I don't want to be working when I'm 85 years old. Why not? Yeah. Because you hate what you're doing. That's why not. That's right. If you had a passion for, I'm sure you'd love to make stuffed animals when you're 85 years old, it sounds like. Not not because you <laughs> had to, but. <laughs> if the passion I, was still yeah. there, right? I, like, I do want to be creating and contributing for as long as I live. Yeah. Um, there is a difference between creating and contributing and struggling. Right. Oh, forever. for sure. For sure. But like yeah. to have a passion and to feel useful. Um, when you're yeah. 85, like it shouldn't just be sitting lying there in comfort waiting to die. No, um, and you'll live a lot longer. Like even they've done I, studies with yeah, yeah. giving plants and or stuffed animals or like robot stuffed animals to <laughs> people. I don't, there's an awesome seal. Like I don't remember what it's called, but if you look up like robotic seal for seniors, um, it extends life by, yep. I wouldn't say not decades, it, but years. Um, yeah. yeah, cause you feel like you are in control of something, you're responsible for something. We literally live for that. So you're saying that we should put robots in all the old page pensioner homes just to keep and them not happy tell them. and not tell them they're all just <laughs> walking drones yeah. and yeah. Uh, the uh, <laughs> it's kind of they're more like they're more like very complicated Furbies. Okay. Um, it's a really cute. It's a little seal, and you pet it, and it makes noise. Um, I totally want one, but they're like seven thousand dollars. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it's really it's just. Uh, any any engagement that acknowledges value and gives value um, and empowers people of, I think, any age um, is going to help. It's funny. Uh, we don't always look at those kind of esoteric ways of what gives us joy. And sometimes joy does come from misery or challenges. Um, recently, we I think we were talking about this last time. We were doing, a, a friend of mine found a article written on different types of exercise personalities and what drives people to be, uh, to essentially do something that sucks. Why, what, what do you get out of this? Um, there's the competitive one where essentially you're just trying to beat everyone around you. And then there's a the perfectionist one where you're trying to do everything to the utmost perfection possible. 
Uh, personally, I have the one where it's, inc- it's entirely dopamine-based, where it's I'm looking for a dopamine, whether that be a rush or a new experience. Um, and I thinking about like, yeah, that makes sense. I was like, wait a minute, new experience, new experiences give you dopamine rushes because your brain is growing and it it thrives so much that it actually gives you a pleasure response by experiencing new things, which I don't think a lot of people really appreciate. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think it's kind of touching on that too, of like having that, uh, having those experiences of like, oh, I'm actually doing something and I feel good about it too. Mm-hmm. Totally. I think that uh, I'd like to see the numbers on what percentage of the population fell 12. into each. <laughs> yeah, 12.4 makes it sound more realistic. About Which that. fall in each category? Because I would have to say that most people that I've met um, are not into new experiences or new challenges. They just like the comfort zone just to be able to. Well, I think a big factor is that you have to go out there and actually experience life to determine these. Because yeah. I think there's a lot of people that are incredibly horribly depressed who, yeah. if they're experiencing dopamine, that they would become addicted to it, which is, I think, where I'm kind of at and a lot of people are, me are at. Yeah. But you have to go out there and actually do things. Be brave enough to... Yeah, to so I don't think do it's a matter of you don't have those personality types because you don't have people going out there and actually experiencing mm. those. And what, like you're saying, like how many people out there do you think maybe um, would benefit if they had a stuffed animal? to carry around that who aren't because they've never considered it. I think a lot. Um, and I also think you, you're touching on some really important things there. Um, like I, I've dealt with depression. Um, I know lots of people who have, um, trouble in particular definitely started in a zone for that. Um, more important in terms of actually getting out of it instead of like relying on or, um, just eternally leaning on an external, uh, help, whether it's a comforter or a pharmaceutical help. Um, and again, I'm, I can only really speak for my journey, which hasn't involved uh, pharmaceuticals for that. Um, Sorry, it didn't involve pharmaceuticals? I have never been on antidepressants. Okay. Um, I do have a nightmare disorder, which means I have way too many awful nightmares all the time. Um, and I am on a, uh, a drug that is supposed to be for um, lowering blood pressure. But they use it for PTSD and nightmares because it helps with that. Okay. Um, Do you know the mechanism or like not maybe the mechanism, but like the logic behind? No idea. No. Okay. That's <laughs> but it works. But it works. Uh, so I love. I love. I love hearing about uh, medications that aren't necessarily for what they're using for, and they somehow do. There's yeah. some sort of weird down the line chain reaction that happens or something. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't that the case with Viagra? They were thinking it was like a blood pressure medication. Yeah. Then everyone had a heart on, and they're like, "Oh, we could do that. So we'll sell it on that instead of heart." you know, a heart medication. Yeah. Well, I take like, I've got, I've got an anxiety, uh, as a result of another medication I took and I take an oh, antipsychotic wow. because it gives you baseline emotions, which as a result, you just don't feel anxiety anymore. Yeah. Wow. And I'm not a psychopath if I potentially was. So, <laughs> That's you know, win-win, nice. win, right? <laughs> yeah. And I gave you my address. Yeah. Now you tell me. <laughs> Uh, I'm not the worst, you know. No, that's true. We talk about you in uh, our group meetings. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I do know that, uh, one of the most important tools for me, and I, I can't quote the study. My, my husband's the one who knows the kind of depth in depth on this, but cognitive behavioral therapy is slightly more effective than pharmaceuticals for, for depression and anxiety short term. It's like three times more effective long term. Oh, wow. Uh, and cognitive behavioral therapy in, again, really look this up if you're interested. I am not the source for it, but it is... Uh, starting an upward spiral and what you're talking about with new things, it doesn't always have to be like skydiving this way, this day, like Rock visiting. Or right. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. that's, that's, I mean, more adrenaline than, than dopamine, but like that is where you can, places where you can get that rush, but having an upward spiral can be 
for me, it was, it was the difference between, uh, life is not worth living to, I am going to make the effort to walk around the block today. Mm-hmm. Yep. I am going to uh, meditate for 20 seconds. Oh, it's like, amazing. Forcing and, yourself to do something you hate, but it's exactly. and, and or it's difficult. Even if you yeah. like it, but if you're just in that space where nothing feels worth it, to, to move that boulder just far enough to do anything um, is a tremendous effort and is the start of something way more powerful than anything we've designed uh, chemically or, or toys like, and none of like nothing external can fix a person the way fundamental gradual change within that person can. Dr. Uh, Kelly Brogan is a psychologist out of New York and she talks about this at length with the depression that she's in a field where they would normally use pharmaceuticals. Uh, you know, majority of psychologists will put you on an antidepressant or an antipsychotic or all these different things. And she won't take clients that, um, that plan on being those for a long time. She gets you off as quick as possible yeah. through exercise, diet, lots of sunshine, being around good people, and then doing those things that are difficult to do. Like, you know, get up and go for a walk, get up and do 10 jumping jacks, get up mm-hmm. and just baby steps. Uh, uh, Jordan Peterson talks about it at length in his book about... Take a shot. <laughs> if we had it, we would. I talk about uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but he talks about like, just make your bet. Like get up in the morning and if you yeah. only do that one thing, that's one thing you accomplished. You can start your every single day with an accomplishment that can grow into other accomplishments. Absolutely. And that's what you're talking that. about, right? Yes, yeah. absolutely. And again, like I, or I keep saying and again when I'm saying things for the first time. Better than, um, better than um. <laughs> yeah. the, uh, I'm not against using pharmaceuticals for that, for that move. Because I, like I said, like that moving that boulder a little bit. Yeah. If, you, if the difference is you're not going to move it or you can take drugs and then you can start moving it, as long as it's short term, I think it'd be tremendously helpful. Yeah. Um, so I'm definitely on board with, with well, that. It's kind learning. of like a crutch, right? A crutch yeah. can be something that you need for a little while until you heal, or it can be something that you need because you don't have another leg. Right. Um, the trick is to not assume that it is one or the other all the time. And right. I think that's, that's kind of where, where most things are, right? It has to be an open option that this could go anyway. Yeah. And every yeah. person's different that, their, their level of uh, anxiety or depression or, um, you know, any of the, the mental uh, illnesses, I don't know if that's the right term or not, that there's no real way to rate them and say, like, okay, you're here, and so if we do this, we're going to take you to here because mm-hmm. the human brain is so complicated that um, I get it. People people need medications, but I, I would encourage people, if you can find a way to get off them, if you can find a way to do things not the same way you were doing them before when they're not working, then that's that's really the, the, the line you need to go down. Mm. There's a great book called How to Be Miserable <laughs> that was, it, it's not going to solve them by itself, but it's a great kind of, poke at the patterns that people might be in that I was in most of, yeah. uh, in, in darker times. And he's like, it's, it's, it's written ironically, but it's a really, uh, accurate, effective What was the name of the analysis? book again? It's called how to be miserable. And I don't remember the author's name, but you can, it'll pull up if you search that. Um, and he'll go, how to be miserable, like stay inside. And then he'll describe exactly why you're staying inside. Because if you Go outside, these are the things that will happen, and then you might be a little happier, and you don't want that. Yeah. Um, and But it'll go through, like, there's 50 things. That sounds wow. fun. And That's I think book. almost anybody would read that and be like, ha, 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 and then find a thing and be like, oh, crap. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, crap. I'm doing it to myself. We recently uh, went to a talk where the guy was talking about kind of like the seven worst behaviors that you can have and that you should evaluate yourself. And he actually made up a hard card that had of all in definition of them. And you're supposed to read through and evaluate yourself and like, okay, which one of these is are you most like? And they're, they're horrible things. And then he says, when you feel comfortable, give it to your significant other or to your kids and have them tell you which one of these you are. Uh. And then you work on those problems, right? You go, oh, why am I doing that? And how can mm-hmm. I stop myself? And, and then that's how you become a better person. What if you don't have anything on that card? Uh, you would be a pretty special person. <laughs> <laughs> and not short bus special, like real special. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, so, you know what, I, uh, as I was uh, stalking you online and figuring out who you are, I realized that we had uh, a mutual friend in David Harder. He was yes. one of our second or third guests on the podcast. How do, you know, how do you know David? Same way I know you. Oh, yeah? yeah. <laughs> <Just> from- <laughs> uh, it was the last time I was on, I did a kind of a shaper kick. Uh, so I met him last summer, maybe. Okay. Um, and Has I just, it been around that long? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that. Um, I don't know if he was doing the same. He was doing events, I think. Anyway, um, I haven't been to one until just re- just recently, but we met for coffee and, and we're talking about some of his pursuits. And yeah. uh, I think I had a connection to a space that he ended up hosting one in and, and then we kind of lost touch for while I was off the planet. Yeah. Um, and then just reconnected recently. So yeah, I saw, I saw that on your on your list. Yeah, yeah. He's an interesting guy cool for too. sure. So you've yeah. never done any of his events or you said you're about to do one? I went to a an event of his that was called uh, Communicating with Compassion. Okay. Uh, it was kind of a, a communication slash platonic tantra. I don't know that they would call it that, but that's like it's got tantra concepts in it. Um, and I did not know what I was showing up for. Um, <laughs> he invited me out. Yeah. And, uh, and I showed up and they're like, okay, one of the rules for this, uh, one of the rules for this evening is that uh, we don't touch anybody's breasts or genitals. I'm like, oh, <laughs> Okay. I'm actually cool. a little surprised he implemented that rule. I am going to start using that for every situation that I encounter <laughs> people in, regardless of even if it's a possibility. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I mean, that's what it really what it was. Like, it was not a sexual uh, event at all. It was about, uh, you know, growing empathy and uh, practicing saying no and like um, cool exercises. Really difficult for anybody who's uncomfortable uh, with. People, was it which a, is most people. Like a singles thing? Was it like, uh, you know, couples went or was it just... There was a mix of both. There okay. was um, pretty wide age range, singles, couples, men, women, um, potentially other, I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've been to one, so I'm not a uh, I want to go to a the bunch community. of It was really worthwhile, I think, and if you're interested in personal growth and, uh, yeah. and upward spirals. It's an interesting it idea, like the, uh, the thought about if you're antisocial or not comfortable with other people that you should correct that or not. I, I know like I've always gone through life. I, I'm very much not an, a social person, but I've forced myself to do stuff that is social. Just uh, maybe, it's, maybe it might be for the new experience, but also just uh, the core at least starting off is to say, well, you need to be a better person. You need to be more outgoing, more pleasant to strangers, more empathy, but do you really? Can you just um, be a jerk in your house and hate everybody? And that's fine. I I think it's fine. I think that people most definitely <clears throat> do that and they'll probably do it their entire lives. I personally think that But should they, right? Yeah, I don't I don't think they should. I think that we are designed to be in community. We're designed to be with other people and learning and growing and changing and 
in influencing other people. So can you be with just a bunch of other jerks in your house? I don't know. Maybe. Does that count? When did it change for you? Was it What's that? That that you decided you wanted to get out and be around more people and, and stuff like that? Was oh, I think it's like all my life. Okay. Yeah. I think yeah. there's always been a weird, angry, avoidant person. Okay. Yeah. Unless they were punching people or lighting fires. No, I like people that hit people. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, actually, like, to be honest, the, I don't. I don't enjoy going out into the woods. I, I do that purely for. I used to teach outdoor survival. Um, I'm scared of everything. Me and my my coach were actually talking about this one day. Um, my motivation for everything, everything to better myself, is fear. Um, I'm scared that someday I'll be in the woods and I'll die. So I, I learned outdoor survival. Mm-hmm. I'm scared that someday someone's going to beat me up. So I learned how to fight. Um, wow. Yeah, I was scared that someday I wouldn't be able to make a meal. So I learned how to cook. Like everything in my life is fear based. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. I I mean, and and there's. Uh, I don't know. I'm not. What like I'm, I'm afraid that people think I'm weird if I don't go out and do things. So I go and, and I, so do I go things. do things. Yeah. Wow. My philosophy on. Base, the, the the easiest run through th- or through thread anyway um <laughs> <laughs> common thread uh for everything i do is i read a book called the incrementalists it is a novel by stephen Brust and skylar white and uh the most impactful non non-fiction book uh, i've ever read basically the relevant part of this is they this, this secret society makes the world a little bit better at a time. Um, that's their whole deal. Like they, it's sometimes butterfly effect. Like it makes it a lot better, um, because of a small thing they did, but really like their, their goal is be there and have things be a little bit better because they were there. And I love that. And I do not need any of the special powers or, or, um, backgrounds or, or skills that they have to do that. Um, and to be that in the world. And I think that, I am here and I'm alive and I can make anything I touch a little bit better mm-hmm. if I, if that's my intention for the most part, I mean, I'll screw things up sometimes. Um, but if, if my goal is always to, to make something, anything a little bit better, at least for my having been there, then the, like, I have no idea what the impact of that could be, but I know that I'm, here and that's a positive thing and that will reflect into my own psyche as a positive thing and i think if you're a jerk in your house with other jerks you're gonna make each other miserable and you're not gonna have much of a positive impact on the outside world and maybe like you maybe you're in there like inventing a computer well the trick is perspective though right you have to ask yourself are you uh, are you making things a little bit better for yourself for other people specifically for the world in general for like you know, maybe if I have a bunch of jerks in my house, we have a jerk party. It's a bunch of jerks that aren't out wandering the street causing problems for everybody else, right? <laughs> so it's a weird perspective, right? As to like, if, if it's better for me, is it better for everyone else? And if I'm a better person, does that maybe make it better for everyone else? Even if that specific action doesn't make it better for them? Um, I don't, I for me, coming at it, I... Yeah, like your personal definition yeah, and of again, that. Like, yeah. Um, I, the goal, all right, the things that make things better for me, um, the, sorry, if I, if my goal is to impact the world by making things a little bit better, 
with everything I do and everything I am involved in. That is not a, a things better for me directed goal. Like you can't say that okay. and then go out into the world and be like, I'm going to eat this pie because it makes my tongue feel better. That makes something better for the world. Um, although depending on who I bought the pie from, right, obviously right, I'm helping yeah. the business thing. Um, ideally it's more than that because you can, you can support, um, whoever makes Doritos by buying 18 cases of burritos and then, or Doritos and then eating them all. Um, but that's not going to make, it's going to limit your ability to make other things better because your body is going to be worse because your mood is going to be worse. Um, your family relationships are probably going to suffer. Um, so ideally you're doing things that are positive in as much of a, like picking up some garbage off the street and throwing it away. Um, is so Jordan Peterson has something he says all the time, and I think you're describing it almost perfectly. And I'm not taking a shot. Um, <laughs> You'll that, take a shot later. Okay. That uh, all your decision making should be based off this this one little phrase that he says, and it says, first, do what's right for you, but not only right for you, it's got to be right for you and your family and your community and the world. Not only has it got to be right for all those groups and you, but it has to be right for you today, tomorrow, the and three years, five years, the rest of your life. So when you make a decision to do something, what is the motive behind it, right? And and and, and why are you making that decision? Just being self-aware and then making sure that you're looking at everyone down the road. You're right. Eating Doritos, you get a little bit of tongue pressure. Yeah, that might feel like it's good for me. It's not good for you. There's nothing that Doritos has inside there that's going to make you... Um, better at the end of the day, right? Mm-hmm. Is it going to bring you joy? Maybe, but it's going to make you more miserable later on down the road. Yes. Um, so I think that's that's what you're talking about is it has to be right for you. It has to be good. He also talks about um, when you say lie, even if it's a little white lie, then you stop trusting yourself. And so you know you as a liar. So every time you open your mouth, you either have to be that liar or you have to um, be a better person Oh, I'll get to let Mark out. Hands <laughs> You get to judge yourself every day based on your actions. So if you get to, you go out and you be a jerk, then you're going to understand that you're a jerk and don't deserve anything good. If you go out there and you pick up garbage and you help somebody and you smile and that gets reciprocated in some way, you're like, oh, well, I'm a good person, so I can do good things. And that just, you grow on that a little at a time. Absolutely. And thank you for, for coming back to the uh, the time thing. That was a piece I was missing. And, and what I was just saying is, is uh, what's good for me right now is exactly how everybody finds their worst Spot is like this feels Absolutely. good right now, but the path goes. That's it. Just down. Yeah. Um. So what? yeah. So thinking about the so, future. Yeah. So where I got that from, he did a, a breakdown of the five first five books of the Bible and what they sort of mean, and from a psychological standpoint, not a, a theological standpoint. And it was really interesting to me to see that those ancient stories are so relevant um, in today that, that, that the morality that we know as a community or the majority of us know as a community are based off of those stories that it you know lasted for thousands of years before we had written uh, word. They were passed down from you know tribes members and elders and stuff like that so it uh it's interesting that you talk about what's what's good and what's moral where do you think that came from are your parents uh i mean they're obviously good people yes um my my parents were one staunch atheist and one 
I'm not sure, but we're definitely not going to church or having biblical discussions or, or anything. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Um, I mean, okay, so I don't believe that you need religion for morality. Right. Um, I do not want to go down a rabbit hole of explaining why right now because I don't. Yeah, that's, totally that's super long. Um, I do think that I do think that it does not matter why you were doing the right good thing if you are doing the right good thing, hmm. and I don't think it matters why you're doing the wrong bad thing um, if you're doing the wrong bad thing. So, like some of the arguments against. Uh, organized religion of whatever kind that I heard at home were, um, you know, people doing bad things in the name of whatever this thing is. Yeah. And Residential I, schools, perfect example exactly. for Canada. Yeah, yeah, Just horrendous things. Those are horrendous things, no matter why you did them. Um, I, uh, I was, I became more accepting of people with other religions uh, than maybe some of my family was just kind of by realizing that. And I, I probably read that's like, I, I can't point to um, why this made sense to me, but if you're, if you're good, if your effect on the world is positive, if people are better, if you are better um, because you are around, I don't care why you believe you did that. Like if, if there's a, if it's karma, if it's um, God, Jesus, God, Muhammad, like, yeah. whoever. Yeah. Um, if you're good while you're here, whether there's somewhere else or not, you're good while you're here. And and I'm not going to judge um, what reasoning or whether I think it's real. Um, the the kind of watcher of that, um, I'm just going to thank you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Gratitude is huge, right? That I don't think we. I used to teach a self defense class here in town, and it was for free. We got the building for free and got all the equipment through fundraising and stuff. Uh, but one of the, the things inside the, the class was if you were going to do the class, you had to tell us something you were grateful for. Um, and that was sort of your cost of doing the class. And I don't think enough people do that in their lives where they just sit back and go, well, what am I really thankful for, right? Whether, um, you know, if you focus on the positive, you'll get more positive. If you focus on the negative, you're going to definitely get more negative. There's mm-hmm. It's funny how many people are really bothered by that too. Well, there's people that stressed about... The gratitude thing. I don't know what to be gratitude. Gra- yeah, have gratitude for. I don't want to talk about it. Or it yeah. was pretty common. Like it really stressed a lot of people out. It did, and 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 other people. It was so easy for. Like, there's definitely two camps on the the gratitude mm-hmm. thing, and maybe they're just not seeing anything good in their lives. I, I don't know. Maybe people put yeah. value on it more than others. Yeah, I put a lot of value on it. I I thank everybody for everything all the time. It just it makes me feel good when I say thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're actually thankful for it. But then there's that argument, though. If you thank 100 people and then someone else thanks someone once, is it possible that there's less value in those 100 thank yous than the one? Like, not saying it's guaranteed, but... Yeah. I, think it boils I don't down think to, so. Yeah. Like, if something happened that spurred someone who just does not say thank you to say thank you, it probably really meant something to them to say that. Yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. if you just say it the same way you say hello, you know... Yeah. Like, I don't really care how you're doing today, but I'm going to say have a great day. Yeah. I think, I think the value of the thank you and the meaning behind the thank you is not dependent on the number. Right. No, no. And I, I, I wouldn't say it is, but it certainly could be a situation that I'm, I'm theorizing here, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, if you say it so much that the word loses meaning, 
But to you, you think you're still thankful for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, uh, Brene Brown has in, I think at least every book of hers that I've read, um, cited studies about gratitude and all of the people who she's interviewed who are joyful. Um, they have a gratitude practice. Like they're not, they don't just like acknowledge that it might be important. They have, whether it's a journal or, um, a certain time of day where they stop and they'll, they'll, like it's 11, 11, I'm going to say what I'm thankful for. Yeah. Um, that is, that was a hundred percent, uh, what she found in the people who were, who were excited about being alive and, uh, <laughs> and happy about what they were doing. It's a massive part of a lot of religions, a massive part of, um, meditation. And, and I didn't know about the studies. I'd be interested to read up on some of those and see what they actually were. But, um, I don't see how it cannot be helpful to your life it's to be mm-hmm. thankful. Just find one thing. Well, and here's the thing. It's not like, it's not like it's be grateful and express gratitude or baseline nothing. Our whole culture is about complaining about things and saying how bad things are. And, um, you know, like I'm glad it's the weekend. Uh, I'm not too bad. Um, it's been better. There's always something like this is the language that is the other side of it. And we don't think of it as being the other side of the spectrum. We think of it as that as being normal. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's also normal to be enormously depressed and, uh, and way too normal. Way too well, it's normal. Like it's a competition now. Like it's actual. Like you were mentioning, yeah. uh, saying well, earlier, it's it's a contest. Like who can be more miserable? Yeah. yeah. Which is weird. I know it is. There, there, there are definitely groups of our society that dwell on on misery. That they dwell on. We've equated what happiness is to being lazy, or I don't know, just. If you're miserable, you're obviously working hard, and working hard's good, mm, so you want to be miserable. Whereas if you're happy, you're obviously lazy or stupid or something. <laughs> <laughs> there is there is definitely uh, the the work hard value thing. I, I'm trying to remember which book talked more about this. Um, I could probably do like a whole year's worth reading list um, on the things we've been talking about. Um, but also, if you are the most miserable you are the most deserving of pity. You are the most deserving of having things handed to you. I think uh, both, oh, oh crap, I will try and remember this book um, that kind of described the two sides of entitlement as mm-hmm. being this this arrogance, like I'm better than everybody else. Um, it does increase the likelihood of you getting something for free, I guess. Yeah. If you're pity. Um, I think there's another side to that too, where um, about the gratitude side, there's people that say thank you and act like they're grateful because it gets on something as well, right? It gets more productive out of people at work and and stuff like that. There was uh, a book, I'm not going to remember the name, but the basis of it was, it was in the 50s and it was talking about the people that are going to be leaders in your communities and your companies and all that. They are the most upstanding moral people. They work hard. They're always there to help you. They're, this is who you got to be to be the great. And then in the 60s or the 70s, someone else wrote a book and talked about how you act like those people from the 50s will get you the promotions. And so as long as you could get people to believe that you're that you are thankful and that you do like them and that you are a hard worker, then you'll move up the ladder the same as the people who are actually hard workers. And so I think there's a little bit of that going on where people will have this, um, you know, you see it like with Hollywood actors, they, they, their Instagram is they're like, oh, I'm so thankful. No, 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 no. And then you find out behind the scenes they're yelling and throwing stuff at people and they're just, they're miserable all the time that they're not that same character that they are online. Mm-hmm. I think... 
Uh, it's kind of an interesting setup. It's kind of like when you tell your kids to say thank you when you give they, they get something. They don't know why. They're just, okay, well, you say thank you. It's kind of like the celebrities. Well, you got to say thankful. Otherwise, you're not going to get a, a role in that movie because people right. are going to think you're a dick. Yeah. I want to thank Harvey Weinstein for uh, giving me time on the couch or whatever it happens to be, right? That's yeah. a whole other kettle of fish there. <laughs> it is, but lots of them thanked him, right? Yeah. But that's what got them their next role was just saying his name and saying, I thank this guy. And that was probably one of the most horrific things we've seen come out of Hollywood. But it was all based around those those people got roles because they were thankful for what he who he was. I think that might be oversimplifying <laughs> yeah. the situation. I'm I'm not even touching that. <laughs> <All right. laughs> um I think that if I think that people can tell when you're genuine overall and it is a bigger problem not to express gratitude than it is to express it for the wrong reasons because if you're expressing for the wrong reasons genuinely enough that you fool people you're probably going to start fooling yourself yeah and actually be grateful (laughs) Um, maybe yeah lip service has value like if you say thank you to me and i know you're not thankful it's better than not saying anything at all right it's better than saying you know what i'm not very thankful for what you did for me and I, as opposed to you going, thank you, and I know you didn't really mean it. Well, at least you, more did, you know. Yeah. <laughs> at least you didn't shove it in my face that you're not thankful for it, right? <laughs> well, something, and you can make your decision either way. I think um, honesty has value. I'm not a proponent of the radical no filter uh, kind, um, because again, if it if it doesn't that that again, I actually meant um, if it if it hurts without adding value then you're making things worse. And yeah. there's no there's enough stuff that's making things worse. You don't need to make things worse. I agree. Um, the, you're sort of talking about the fake it till you make it, right? Like so if you say thank thank you enough, if you're if you express gratitude, whether it's real or fake, eventually it's gonna be real because there there's it does change people, right? To say thank you to when people do nice things for you, they're more than likely going to do something nice for you down the road. And so you're going to continue being thankful because you're getting nice things all the time. Mm-hmm. It's just, if you're not genuinely, but you thank them and you express it in a way that people believe it, then eventually you'll be grateful. Yeah, and I mean, it, I think anything that results in growth does have to have some intention for actual effort in it. Um, and that. You know, I've, I've heard people be proponents of affirmations and I've heard people tra- tear them down because uh, they say something like happy people don't need to look in the mirror and tell themselves they're happy. Um, I think I think they do have value, but staring in the mirror, f- thinking to yourself, I'm a loser, no one will ever love me, and saying I'm happy, that's not going to work. Yeah. Um, like there has to be at least like a 1% move towards what you're going for to for the motion and it only has to be that and there's a great book i can actually remember called the compound effect that talks about about this like big leap you don't have to go from i don't care about anything anybody does to me to saintly like donating everything and like it's an interesting thought the spectrum um i think like the two worst things you can do is to be an extreme or be stagnant and even if you are happy and you stand in front of the mirror and go i'm legitimately happy there's something wrong with you if that's how you are all the time um, in the same way that if you stand in front of the mirror all the time and go, I'm a loser because I legitimately feel that I'm a loser. I think it's perfectly fine to be either one of those and to bounce back and forth and to hang out in the middle for the most part. Cause that's really what we're looking for is to be in the middle for the most part. Otherwise we don't appreciate when things are really good if you don't have them really bad. 
<clears throat> but it's an interesting side effect of, uh, I guess, how we view mental health that everyone should be happy all the time yeah, to the I point that agree. even if we're not, we're going to fake it. We're going to lie about it. We shouldn't fake being happy when we're not happy. I agree. I think that happy as a word sucks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and there are multiple books that I <laughs> yeah. uh, reference. Mm, uh, Martin Seligman is a big uh, mover of, of that, of like when we're talking happy, if your definition of happy, if your understanding of happy is smiling, elated, uh, like, whatever that like bland positive all the time. Nobody is that all the time. Um, the, the I'm a loser is a self-worth thing. The happiness is a mood thing. Um, and your, your self image, your self worth is the foundation of how you view everything. Your mood is a fleeting, like externally affected, constantly changing thing. And if you base your identity on the mood while having any self image, you can't, if you base your identity on your mood, you don't have a good self-image. Right. Um, your emo- if, you are, if you live your life by your emotions, you got work to do. Yeah. Um, so, like, I guess the, the, the middle ground to me, and I'm very much in, in the compound effect, it's like small positive changes over time um, will garner bigger and bigger returns in goodness um, in a tiny nutshell. Yeah. Um, and there is no end game. There's no, I'm a perfect specimen of, of human achievement. Um, but that's okay. That means you always get to keep growing. Right. Um, and the always keep growing that that is, is not becoming constantly happy, whatever that means. Um, but it is growing the self image, growing the understanding, growing the self control. Um, you know, being, have you read any Jordan stuff, Jordan B. Peterson? Because a lot of stuff... I've heard the name. Okay. Um, I think probably a lot of the people I read read his stuff. I don't think I've read a book of his. Okay. Because what you're saying is exactly what he's talking about. He kind of has the, the Deadpool mentality that life is horrific and you get little moments of happiness inside there and you get that through growth and through change and through wanting to be better and being nice to other people. That's that's where that those good feelings come in. But, mm. you know, his his... His description of consciousness is that we're the only creatures on the planet that know we're going to die. He goes, how can you not be depressed or anxious all the time <laughs> and knowing that it can't come at any given moment at, at any given time? We don't know what it is, right? We're, mm-hmm. we, but we, we're the only ones that know that we're going to die. Um, so that, that mentality that you're talking about of just doing that little bit, that 1% every day, moving forward, a little bit of growth, I think... I don't know how you get that across to the culture that that's so important and that that the, the way you feel during the day isn't the important part. The things that you're doing are the important part, right? The your mood, who cares what your mood is? Like kids come up and say, "Oh, I'm bored." Huh, good for you. Have a good day. Off <laughs> you go, right? If, if they're truly sad or depressed every single day, then yes, you have to look at why they're they're always feeling that way. But if you have that full range of, of emotions that you, you feel joy and you feel sadness and you feel depressed and anxiety and maybe even psychotic um, and empathy, you feel all those things at some point during the day or the week or the month, then you're living a really, really normal life and you can make it a little bit better when you do a little mm-hmm. bit better. I think uh, speaking to the how do we convince a culture of that, how do we implement that in the culture, 
gradually. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a little bit at a time. And it's hard, right? Because there's now so many people and there's now so many different cultures, even though we're, we're one community because of the internet, because of travel, because of a lot of things that we, we really get to understand other people's cultures more, but we don't, we don't take it on. We don't really teach. And maybe this is right back to the beginning with unschooling people, you know, instead of just only working on math and science and social studies that you find what um, a kid finds exciting. And then that's the, I think foundations for the future might have a school base loosely on that Mm. um that they get to do they still have to do all the basics but they you know if they're musically inclined we'll let them play music for four hours a day and then do two hours of of math and all the other stuff Um, and we would get much different uh culture out there the other big one that's uh, everyone's talking about right now is universal income i don't know if you've heard about this that they believe that that may be the solve that you know if everyone didn't have to worry i don't know that i believe this but if you didn't have to worry about the basics then you were more free to become creative and um you know helpful and nice and, and all those kinds of things I, I have heard of that as a thing that some people believe would do those things. I, I do not so believe don't. that that would do those things. I think it's the hardships that make you that better person. I'm so into that. The, the universal yeah, income? Yeah. As an evolutionary thing, I think that automation and AI is going to eliminate a lot of jobs. Yeah. Uh, the only way to logically go from there is to have something like a universal income. Because the only jobs that are going to be out there are going to be the artisan and small business type jobs. Um, and if we don't need as many people to manufacture, we don't need big cities anymore. We can now have small communities, small communities that support each other. The only thing that automation can offer you is actual like art uh, personality. So I think it's going to be an amazing opportunity for people to go out there and actually have, like you can... You can be the person who makes the the stuffed animals in the town and someone else can be the person who maybe they run the brewery of the town and you all interact on this micro level. You can still go buy your manufactured stuffed animals and you can still go buy your breweries, but in a small community, it means so much more to have that. And with automation taking so many jobs, it's only ethical to have that that, uh, minimum income so that you do have the option to go out and explore what things you can do. And in the end, you know, there are going to be some people that really, they're not going to be entrepreneurs. They're not going to be craftsmen, but someone has to work the front desk at your your uh, stuffed animal store and someone has to wash the brewery after it's, well, I guess you'd have machines do that too, but yeah, that's, I get that's, what you mean, that's where I see it. Unfortunately, though, it does mean making it a much more socialistic society. You can't allow landlords to take advantage of the fact that everyone has a base income. Otherwise, rents will just increase at what point the... Income has to increase, at which point this becomes a completely impossible endeavor at some point. Don't, don't you think, though, that the... That's, I know I'm talking about a utopia. So yeah. it's, there is a trick to, to get to that point. Yeah. And, I, and I, I, I would hope that that's all true. But I think that there's... In the suffering is where the real creativity comes out. The, you know, being the broke student and working hard to get your degree or learning a trade or a craft or whatever, that comes from that... Um, you don't feel that there's hurdles though that are just not surpassable. Like it's not a matter of how hard you work; it's just not a surpassable hurdle. So, what, what would not be a surpassable hurdle? Uh, being able to like support yourself, <clears throat> pardon me, and start a business at the same time. Uh, I think uh, there's definitely true uh, for some people. <clears throat> like experiment. Sorry. Uh, have you read a book called "Hundred Dollar Startup" by Chris Gillibo? No, I haven't. Recommend it for uh, people who are 
potentially in that situation or curious about it. He, he talks about businesses that were literally started for a hundred dollars. Yeah. Um, I think like, the biggest, the biggest difference, maybe what I'm talking about is you can start a business that maybe isn't a logical business to start, but is a passion for you. Um, like maybe I really enjoy making, uh, I don't know, really dumb hats cause I enjoy wearing dumb hats cause I want to wear a hat that's way too small for my head cause I, it makes me happy. Yeah. Uh, but it's not a realistic business for me to start. But if I have a, like a universal income, I can go do that. Maybe it'll take off and maybe it won't, but it's a risk that but I can take. But it won't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have the universal income. Um, how I, many advances do we miss out because the inventor decided that this isn't going to sell I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna risk my family's life and my life on a product that probably won't sell. Yeah, I, I think you can go look at both sides of those. That the um, I think we've definitely missed out on opportunities because people didn't believe that um, it was going to sell or was going that, that that's going to happen whether you have a universal income or not. That people are just going to sit back and go, "There's less risk to do it," but that well, what's the point of doing it if no one's going to want exactly. it? And then with the the first one, I think a lot of times that the reason that you don't start a business to make small hats that look dumb is because no one wants them. And that if you had the freedom to do that, people are doing a bunch of useless stuff that isn't helping anybody. I don't know. I'd kind of wonder what the statistics would be of doing silly, useless businesses that that turned out to actually have a a want that isn't known. Someone made a potato gun and a... And uh, what's well, that stupid sleeping bag with spinners. the arms on it? The fidget spinner. Like, <laughs> exactly. There's millionaires from fidget spinners. You yeah. never would have guessed that that was going to be a success. Maybe someone came up with that idea 10 years ago, and they were like, this is a great idea. I love these. I, I love making these. No one's going to buy it, though. And that was a very reasonable assumption to have. Do you know the fidget spinner story? No. Guy had done a patent for the fidget spinner, but never had the money to go to manufacturing. The day his patent went... Um, uh, free license. Someone else picked it up, put it on the market, made millions, and the first guy that came up with it got nothing. Yeah, that's and th- this is a that's, exa- support, that's a perfect a example. Yeah, yeah. How, mm. I'm not saying. Well, <laughs> I'm not saying that's going to be the case every time. Right, probably very few times. But yeah. businesses it's, it's, also have a very low success rate in general. I think you're going to have both, no matter what. So people that have to struggle to get extra are going to work really, really hard to do that. If everything is taken care of, well, what's the real reason for working? Like, I think there's only going to be a small percentage that are really going to um, excel um, in a universal income world. Those people would excel anyways. There's psychology, or Jordan says that... um, Yeah, but isn't it about making life for everyone better, not just people who are gifted with the ambition and the great ideas and the environment. Not, not everyone grows up in a family that's supportive and pushes them to strive and is intelligent. And like, just because you're, you don't have those natural gifts doesn't mean you shouldn't have the opportunity to go give your dumb idea a try and maybe be successful at it. Have you read anything about where Oprah came from? Know a little bit about it. Uh, TV journal. Uh, that's about as far back as I go, I think with her. Terrible poverty and horrendous abuse is the yeah. prior thing to that. Well, yeah. most most very successful people that don't inherit money tend to come from a very bad background like that. that. That's my that's whole point. But yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I'm not talking about I'm not talking about a Bill Gates here. I'm talking about someone who can make get by. Yeah, on a small business. Yeah. And I, I'm not I, I'm never going to vote for universal income because I believe that people should have to. I wouldn't vote either because I think it'll be abused. Yeah. If yeah. you don't put in stronger laws, and the last thing we need is laws that our government is going to screw up. So. 
there, there's a saying that uh, people who have nothing, it's almost impossible to get something. And people that have anything, it's really easy to grow something into more well, than it is to grow nothing. The American dream is based on statistics. There's so many people in America that you will be able to find at probably at least a thousand people that made that impossibility a reality purely based on like random statistics. Yeah. Hmm. You you seem like you're boiling inside about (laughs) universal income. I'd love to hear what you have to say. Do you have another four days? (laughs) We can definitely have you back if we run out of time. It's a tough subject. It's it's it is. it's it is. it's a, it's asking to have a lot of things changed, and a lot of those changes in the past haven't worked out well for the people involved in those changes. Yeah, yeah. There's no uh, socialist utopias um, are very easy to argue for, without reality being added to it. Yeah, all those small utopian communities usually end up with one guy sleeping with all the girls and. Lots of suicide. So (laughs) there's not a lot of history behind utopias working well. No, yeah. A question um, that I would ask about the fidget spinner Mm -hmm. scenario is in universal income land, guy who filed original patent who had to have like ten to twenty thousand dollars just to do that. where in like if he has two thousand dollars a month or whatever it is um baseline where does that money come from that he can also get the hundreds of thousands of dollars it would have taken to 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 do the manufacturing um if he does not if if there's nowhere and i'm not saying there is because i haven't given you a chance to answer um then the only other option, or the, the next option I would think is uh, license that idea to a manufacturer who already has that money, which is a super capitalist idea. Um, and then that manufacturer still has to have the money to do it, which means they can't have had all their profits taken away to pay for the universal income, mm-hmm. which means people who own factories then are the only wealthy people and everyone else has universal income. Um, and... If you if you take if you took all the money away from the one percent and redistributed it, nobody would be wealthy. And um, okay, okay, this is part of the reason the boiling has happened. Is uh, my parents are are very liberal. My husband is libertarian, which are in no way related. Um, and and I've been kind of discovering the whole world through this lens of, of finding between the two. Um, so I guess before I get further in that, in, in how does the universal income in your mind solve that scenario of needing that kind of capital to bring that idea into the world? So <clears throat> a big factor in, in why I'm saying, uh, why I have this, my, my utopiastic theory comes down to artificial intelligence and uh, automation Currently, as it stands right now, I can bring a product to market for probably $10,000, and I can do that through going through like Asia, essentially, which isn't ethical at the moment, but with automation and the AI running things here, that would be a different option. I feel we could match Asian costs to do it within our, our, our nation. I'm not looking to have 
in say I have in my community, which I'm looking at small communities as being a really big, important part of this. In my small community, I can put that out into my community. I have people that are going to support me. <clears throat> I'm not just an individual. It's, it's an actual, you have the village to support you in that. So I'm looking at being a success in my village. So if I have, say, 10,000 people that live in my village, if I can get like a thousand of them to buy one of these and I can recruit my, uh, my expenses based on that, I now have the option of going to the larger manufacturer. Because I'm not saying everything has to be small, local craftsmanship. I think we can have the big business aspect as an option. Once I get success in my small community, I now have the option of looking at being successful in the larger scheme of things, of going into the 1%, of approaching those people and either selling my idea to them to go to mass production, so, oops, sorry, or else uh, becoming part of that myself somehow. Um, and that's kind of how I would see that scenario working out. There's another view that if you um, have universal income, you don't have to worry about the basics, the food, the water, the housing, that kind of stuff. Yeah, worst you case still scenario, regular, you fail, you're not homeless. Right. You still have that regular job. So now you're getting your mortgage, your car, and your food all paid for, but you still have this other income coming in that you can now use to grow a business or to be more creative or, you know, you don't have to work a 50-hour week to get the house you want. You can now work a 30-hour week and now you have more hours to put towards, you know, happiness, uh, <laughs> joy, uh, you know, being with your family, that kind of stuff. So that that's one of the things is that it's not always about entrepreneurialism that, you know, if you had a universal income, everyone will become a businessman, that if you had this universal income that, People that really truly do suffer from depression don't ever have to work at getting outside of it. They can have everything taken care of. They can be around their family. And maybe because of that joy, that's a bad example, they can can pull them out. Uh, that's one of the thought processes with it, that if we created more time for people through universal income, that we may see more creativity come out of it. So the newer... Uh, software for AI or the newest medical... Um, uh, cure or it's a good point like, like most people that are situationally depressed not maybe chemically depressed um, it's not because they can't afford to go on a vacation it's because they're scared that they're going to be unemployed yeah and lose their job or sorry lose their home um, that's what's and they're going and doing something that makes them more depressed than they need to be I sound like I'm arguing for universal income yeah. <laughs> uh, it sounded devil's advocate to me which is fine because yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm not really on that side but that's the argument that I'm hearing and I should it. I should specify that I'm arguing for universal income with a whole lot of but Can't also <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm pretty much saying we need communism with the option to be capitalist you know what this is Sorry, Sorry, go ahead. The, the thing that I was stopping myself from spinning off into is if you have communism with the option of capitalism, that's capitalism. <laughs> because that just means you've, you've taken all the wealth, pulled it, put well, it all it's, out. It's, yeah, socialism. You're uh, essentially, you're working on the backs of the, the oppressed, which in this case is machines. As okay. opposed to people. But if you've, if you've taken all the wealth and redistributed it, or, or a majority of the wealth and redistributed it, what our scenario we were just talking about before has to involve somebody with capital to do something. Um, and your stated goal for making something new in the universal income world is to become successful within your community. Right. Um, successful within the village, maybe join the 1%. Right. That's capitalism. And some people will do that. Some people will, if there's an option to grow, if there is room to grow, if they're not all oppressed into 
the common denominator of the sure yeah then they will make an effort forward many other people will not and the wealth will be redistributed it, it'll be it'll be uh, when you make it that one percent they take that away from you to give to the people that don't want to be in the 1%. yeah well that's a communism then then why would you do your thing yeah why would you make more than one like i sewed a dragon i like the dragon it took me a few hours right that's where it stops um if you add 50 percent to an income if you take away somebody having to give 20 hours more value and i'm not saying that jobs are the way the world should work um I'm not against them, but I don't think they're the be all end all. Um, if if it's just going to be taken away from you, if you can never reach up, why would you invent anything? Yeah, we do not get a lot of well, and that's the trick. I that's think a good advances out of communist places, and you can't you can't do communism with capitalism and not end up back with capitalism. I think we got a lot of advances out well, of communism, but it was all forced. We have do I think, this or I'll kill your family. And you get a lot done when you do that to people. <laughs> we have a lot of cases where socialism has worked really well. Um, unfortunately, it's not always the, the gears and mechanisms behind it tend not to be. Like in Canada, we, we guarantee that you're not going to die from a disease that's curable. But we also spend way more money than we should on making that possible. Yeah. You know what, guys? I hate to cut us <laughs> off in the middle because th- this is really good. I really enjoyed we'll having you here. We'll come back and have a uh, another... socialist versus communism debate there maybe next go. time. We I would have... argue for neither of those. but <laughs> We have another guest coming on in about 10 minutes, so cool. um, I don't want to cut this too short because I really enjoyed the conversation. And uh, uh, We'll get all your links. Uh, maybe tell everybody where they can find you. For sure. Uh, thank you. Thank you both. This is uh, yeah, thank you fun. For I, think, I think people who care are fundamentally where all of the good comes from um so so this has been lovely thank you for having me Mm -hmm. um links uh my website is littlemhouse.com that's l-i-t-t-l-e letter m house h-o-u-s-e.com um and then trouble the bear is at trouble the bear on instagram and everything else can be found from there cool cool we'll put all those links up after the show again we're uh, encouraging our followers to give us some insight what they want to hear what they don't want to hear so please message us uh, on Instagram or Facebook or email us from the website. So we want to hear from you guys. So thank you for coming. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This is Mark and Chad with I Want to Know.